You are listening to EE Entrepreneurs, where we meet the engineers who turn their passions into business ventures with innovations that benefit people and the planet. Hi, I'm Amy Kalnoskis, editor with EE World, and today we're going to talk digital health. All the rage, right? But what is it? Is it your phone with an app or your smartwatch with a heart monitor? The steps you take and the calories you burn? It is, but it's so much more than that. And today we're going to talk to a company that takes digital health to a neurological level. Wikipedia defines digital health as the convergence of digital and genomic revolutions with health, healthcare, living, and society reducing inefficiencies in healthcare delivery, improving access, reducing costs, increasing quality, and making medicine more personalized and precise. It's also the information and communications technologies, such as hardware and software and services, etc. It's accurate, but it's a sterile definition, especially in context of real humans with real health issues and quality of life challenges. For this first podcast, we spoke with engineer and entrepreneur Ron Nog. He's the CEO of BioAlert Limited. They're a digital health services company out of Dallas, Texas, that leverages IoT and cloud technologies to improve the quality of life for people living with seizure disorders. Yes, I said IoT, but I promise we aren't talking hype. We're talking help. About 2% of adults have a seizure at some point during their lifetime, and it's pretty unpredictable. There's several types of seizures, but the three most common are epileptic, non-epileptic, and those that come with certain mental disorders. And while we do treat seizures with drugs, what if we could find an effective way of preventing seizures, such as automatically detecting an incoming seizure, perhaps with historical data, before the actual onset of the seizure, and then thereby minimizing potential risks. Well, it's that type of monitoring and detection technology that BioAlert has introduced. So, join me as we talk to Ron and discover the why, the how, and the tech behind this startup. Ron, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your background and your inspiration, and uh, and then we'll get into the product and sort of the, the nitty-gritty and under the hood. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes. So thanks, uh, Amy, for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be on this podcast. My background started in uh, electrical engineering and control systems and real-time control. Also moved into the business side of things after getting my MBA and starting to marry the technology to the business, to the purpose, to the application. I worked in various fields from robotics, telecommunications, and various types of uh, entrepreneurial ventures. Did a tenure at a large uh, electronics component company. But for me, I look at a lot of technology and the answer I come in my mind is, so what? This is very much true of IoT and cloud. I have seen so many things connected to the cloud that they claim is IoT, beds, toothbrushes, home appliances, and my answer still is, so what? What is it fundamentally changing in the modality of the person using it that enhances their quality of life? And when I went off to do this venture with Avi Aron, who is an amazing individual that I believe you're going to have on soon, we really started off with we wanted to make a human level impact and then find out 
what technology needs and services can go towards or affect that impact. That's how we kind of started out and that's how my background has gone. To our listeners, I promise you won't want to miss that interview with Avi Yaron in our next podcast. He's the co-founder of Joy Ventures and on the board of directors at BioAlert, but if you were to Google his name, the first 10 hits deliver a variation on, and I quote, the man who invented a cure for his own brain tumor, unquote. I'll just leave you with that for now. Now let's let's talk a little bit about BioAlert. Um, my understanding is that it was built by neurologists and technologists. That's an interesting combination. So what exactly is it? Right. So BioAlert started off as a seizure monitor detection and notification service using proprietary hardware. And it started with two key neurologists, uh, one based out of NYU and another one based out of Tel Aviv University in Israel. What these two neurologists found out is when you have a seizure disorder attack and the way the body or the hands start shaking or the arms start shaking, that is actually a pattern. For the listeners out there, if you see a seismograph when they they talk about earthquakes, you'll see a normal waveform or a normal uh, sinusoidal pattern. And then when you have a earthquake, it just goes crazy and it looks like an etch-a-sketch going up and down, up and down. It's not too sim- dissimilar to what happens in the pattern of a waveform of a seizure attack. And it is that pattern that through neurologists who are trained in the art of interpreting this kind of pattern, that we were able to find out that there is a way to detect a given pattern for, for seizures. And then based on that pattern, take some actionable response. It's one thing to know and have the tech but I asked Ron how he and his team went from there to creating a usable device for people. With proprietary hardware back in the day, there was proprietary wearables, base stations, and how they all connected up to the internet. But now with smartwatches being readily available, smartphones are ubiquitous, so is the connection to the internet as well as you know storing information on the cloud we were able to then take the algorithm that detects this specific waveform for epilepsy or seizure attacks and move it from a hospital-based clinical test to a field-based application that goes into a, a smartwatch a smartphone and uses the cloud as the notification and recording mechanism. Recording because, unfortunately, the person with uh, drug-resistant epilepsy who is having the attack, they're unconscious and they're not in contact with the real world. So the system notifies their friends, families, loved ones, and caretakers. But the number one question that comes back from the researchers and the doctors is, hey, did you write this down when it happened, how it happened, what were you feeling, and how could they? They were having the attack. And if you ask the caregivers, they're like, I didn't have time to pick up pen and paper and write this down while my loved one is having this issue. So for us to be able to record the actual seizure attack pattern and 
be able to have that in a secure place in the cloud so that could be downloaded later for doctors or researchers has been a critical component for us. This starts to build the database of knowledge of how these seizures occur and what can be done about that. And over time, we can uh, profile different people that have, you know, are afflicted with uh, seizure disorders so that we can customize our response to them. And down the line, there's uh, you know, many, many more interesting things we can do with this data. Also with this kind of technology, it's not just uh, seizures that can be monitored and notified, but associative neurological disorders, say like Parkinson's, where you can be able to monitor the constant tremors and say in a, in a clinical trial, you could say, you know, a person gets on a particular medication to see how well those tremors subside or in how much time it subsides. So there are many adjacent applications that the BioAlert technology can go into. Yeah, that's incredible. So, so if I understand it then, Ron, we're talking about you have internet access in an existing smartphone and smartwatch, and this is an app. I mean, on your, on your uh, website, it talks about being a service, or am I oversimplifying? Is there hardware no. that you've introduced into, the, into this, or is it just all over-the-cloud type of service? Amy, you're spot on. It is off-the-shelf or if we were to use a medical term, over-the-counter uh, <laughs> hardware that, uh, you know, you you go get a smartwatch, uh, you know, you order one from the internet, it gets shipped to you, you have your smartphone, you pair it with Bluetooth, there's nothing new or magical about that, and it is an app. You download the app to the phone and it downloads the uh, piece that needs to go into the watch automatically, and then you register and you set up for the subscription so that you can get the monitoring service and the data recorded. And we also record the data in a HIPAA compliant way so that we all honor all the uh, respects and regulations of privacy. Okay, so I, I guess I wasn't oversimplifying it, but it's it's fascinating that you so you worked with neurologists and you're a technologist. Can you tell me about more about how how that worked together. So like when you were, st even when you were starting up, do you guys speak the same language? Did, uh, you were coming from the same place? And kind of now want to get into more, how, what was the nitty gritty of it? How did you tackle the, the engineering bits of it? No, Amy, that's a great question. And I'll, I'll back up in a moment for a second to say that engineering is not only a science or a trade or a service, but it's an art. It's, for me, my favorite engineer is Da Vinci. Um, and we had to look at this as coming from the technologist's point of view as we have an open canvas and palette and not to be close-minded to what the an other realm of knowledge such as neurology comes into play. Now, most of the neurologists we work with have smartphones and things like that from day-to-day -day life, but what they had to really teach us was, and this was really done by video because some of these are leading neurologists in the field of seizure disorders, they would send us videos of them actually simulating seizure attacks. And then we would try the, to re-simulate those using the watch and using the algorithm to see if we could trigger the way they could trigger. We also were able to take data from patients that had real seizures, put it through the algorithm to see if it would trigger the same way. So we had empirical data coming from the hospitals. We had 
the video data of them organically showing us what an attack looked like, and then us trying it out to trigger the system or to uh, validate uh, our assumptions. So there was a, a definitely a give or take. And then many of the feedbacks that we were getting from them were very anecdotal of patient behavior, how, uh, how much knowledge the patient may have to work with even an off-the-shelf consumer device. Understanding the modalities and the behaviors of the patients was as much of a, a key learning point as it was the affliction that we had to go track itself. That's interesting because first thing, I completely agree with engineering being an art. And if you're an analog engineer, like my dad was, that was high art. <laughs> so oh, yes. I, I get that. I'm wondering if, did you get feedback or did they get feedback from the patients that when this was actually working and they could see that their seizures were being monitored and maybe, you know, they, they could get an idea beforehand what the, the time frame was, perhaps the next seizure may be. I'm wondering how that makes them feel emotionally, because they're not all of a sudden surprised by a seizure. I mean, it's giving the doctors information. But have, did you get anything from the patients or did they get anything from the patients? I've spoken to many caregivers and uh, some really, really dedicated ones. Some of these moms out there, the stories really tug at your heart. And that's what makes us focus on that as the problem statement. And what I mean by that is, Amy, you know, I've had a caretaker say, look, I've slept in the same bed as my son for the past uh, 19 years. If you could give me a system so I can sleep in the next bed over or in the next room, that's a huge win for me. Huge. And it's just you don't know how to respond to something like that. You know, we're a technologist that notifies and all that. That's great. We're thinking, you know, someone's at the grocery store and their, their, you know, their loved one is, uh, you know, at a soccer game and it happens. No, this is happening within feet or inches. And they're just wanting just a little bit of space, just a little bit of relief. Like, I'm afraid to use the restroom or take a shower worrying about my child having an attack. And they're like, if your system can give us the notification and give us some granularity on how we can turn on and off some of the notifications and indicators, that's a huge win for us. Uh, that kind of response has been fairly consistent and, and overwhelming, actually, to listen as a human being. Yeah, I can imagine uh, quite a bit of peace of mind that would come with that. So you're, uh, you mentioned that with the IoT and the cloud and the wearables, there's so much focus on that. So do you see that trend? I mean, it almost seems like we're maxed out a little bit on the, the remote gym kind of monitoring. Where else do you see this of technology going? That's a really good question. It actually pretty much touched on one of my major frustrations with IoT and cloud, the Internet of Things. Right now, as you said, there's quite a few people going out. If, if it can be connected, let's connect it. If we can gather data, let's gather data. But for what purpose or for what reason is not really coming into place. And as you're talking about number of steps, number of calories, I call that informational entertainment because great, what are you going to do with it? You as the user of that device or seeing that information have to consciously take action. The system doesn't do anything. Count the number of steps. I didn't get enough. Well, then I need to do more steps, allegedly. So for what I see Internet of Things going to is into medical and in industrial where the service is seamless and ubiquitous, that you don't even know it's there, but it's there to help you. And what I mean by that is just like this seizure detection service and technology, 
you're wearing a smartwatch. You're not wearing some sort of specific medical device on your wrist or a medical SOS uh, bracelet on your hand that calls you out that you have an issue. If IoT can remove a stigma, uh, you know, you talk about young people and them being fashion conscious and all, you know, or self-conscious in general, uh, especially in the teenage years, uh, to be able to give them devices and services that don't look like a device or a service. I would say that's where we'd, we'd want to go. I would say also you will see more services coming out that are about the wellness of a patient, meaning the person is fine, they have no affliction, and the goal is to keep you that way. How can you do that? How can you find medically proven or research proven methodologies that you can implement before someone gets to the point of having a disorder or having a degenerative health condition? I would say that's where I see Internet of Things and the big data that cloud can offer go towards. I don't think we're there yet. We're still playing with the plumbing of hooking up these widgets to the, the cloud and seeing that all that plumbing comes back and you get all this, uh, you know, this uh, data spewing out like water. But I don't think anybody's figured out what to do with it yet. I have to ask, Ron, because this comes up, especially when we're talking about IoT and medical and big data, and you probably know where I'm headed. Are there any security issues associated with your product or any of the wellness IoT related products? Absolutely. For every anybody who says they're fully secured uh, and it, with recent current events that we've seen in, in our news and press, anything can get hacked. And even if a system is not connected to the internet and it's standalone, people not across that air gap that from the digital world into the physical world and hack something. It has been very well documented. What we have to do as technologists and conscientious providers of services that are critical to people's lives is provide the best available possible way to protect the data. But to come up and say nothing can be hacked is, I don't know how, how true that is. So in that sense, you need to really look at device security is one huge item that the whole mobile industry continues to work on. But the other part is, is when you're picking a repository for this data, you really need to think about that as step A. You just can't say, I've collected this data, now where, where am I going to shove it? Putting it onto you know, a network drive is not the right way to go. So you need to think about servers and services that have been certified in this, uh, and the industry that you're servicing recognizes that, in our case, the medical industry or the research industry, so that you can adhere to privacy policies. And you need to have common sense in the way that even though the data is being recorded and uploaded, you know, you have to go through maybe a different portal to get to that information than right through your phone, especially when it comes to medical data, or it's a different app or a different modality in your phone to get to that information. Because if it's just one click away, that means someone that doesn't want to do something good for you could also try to get at it with one click or one stroke of the keyboard. So I think in any of this IoT world and big data world, you have to start at the very beginning thinking about security and think about it step by step from the way that they enter their contact information to the way that you're confirming that information. I never make the statement to any of my team or customers that we've got you covered 100% because 
we know that that could be a fallacy. It's just not there. There's there's security at the edge node that's required. There's security at the cloud that's required. What is what is heartening though is it may be that the medical industry will be the one that moves it along, perhaps even faster, just because of the necessity and the the personal and privacy issues. Granted, banking, financial, quite important as well. But there seems to be a lot centered around medical security because so you know there's so much other fallout that could happen if that information is is released. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So I do want to just give you an opportunity to let uh, let our listeners know, is BioAlert available now? What can they do to get it? How does, what what would the steps be to take it? Say there is a mother with a nine-year-old who's susceptible to seizures and she's sleeping there every night instead of her own bed. What would she do? So I would, I would say to um, your listeners and to that very, that very distressed mother, um, that uh, BioAlert is available today. You could go to the BioAlert website, which is bio-lert.com, and go see the service and what we offer. Primarily, uh, you'd start off by getting yourself a smartwatch if you don't have one, such as like a Android smartwatch from Motorola, and then go ahead and download the app, which is on the Google Play Store today. The app downloads for free. Go through the registration process and the subscription process. And uh, right now we're we're having it such that the first hundred or so people that sign up, we're going to give them the first uh, 30 days free. And once you have the watch, you download, you register, you're good to go. That that's it's it's simple as that. And we can monitor you from the cloud and see the events as well. So uh, we have right now in some of our field trials where the moms will say, hey, uh, did you see the attack? Yes, we did. Or did you see this event? And we can, we can confirm back and forth rather quickly. Couple more questions because, you know, we did say entrepreneurs. So as you described it, it made it sound like it was relatively <laughs> um, pain-free. And I can't imagine, I a startup being pain-free. So without getting into too much detail, what would you say were the biggest challenges to starting up this company? And what would what advice would you give to, say, you know, our EEs who are listening who say, you know, I also have this passion. I also want to do this. I feel like I could make a business out of it. What advice would you give them? Right. So as an EE and as a digital and analog EE, I would say that a startup is a roller coaster ride. There'll be weeks that you finish and you feel like you're on top of the world and you are the new paradigm that is going to reshape an industry, a technology, or really affect humanity. And then there's some weeks where you just have shattered glass all around you and you feel like you're in bare feet and you're going, What the heck did I do? This is, I would say, if you love what you do, and you'd be willing to do it for nothing, and you would do it for the passion and reasons that you want to do it for, you will find a way to succeed. If it is you're trying to build another widget that goes into the flux capacitor, well, think, think it through. But if you're trying to affect a person's life and you want to do it in a positive way, you will find out that that story and that mission will resonate with a lot of people. And also, one of my old bosses who wasn't a startup then, uh, you know, went on to do other great things, he said, pay it forward. Know that it's, it is much of an honor to be of service as it is to be 
a leader. Yeah, one of the things I tell the E's out there, you have to be vulnerable. You, you do have to feel that vulnerability. I'm not talking vulnerable to competitors or other technologies, but vulnerable as a person, as uh, someone in the art of engineering, and, uh, and the vulnerability for innovation, meaning don't close your mind off just because you thought you've built a better mousetrap. You could, uh, you know, a nine-year-old could come up to you and say, hey, um, you know, you did this, why not that? And it could be so simplistic, but it could radically change your mousetrap. Be vulnerable or be open to those ideas. Innovation comes from passion and sincerity and the vulnerability to know that you can make mistakes. Uh, a good friend of mine has told me, fail often and fail quickly, or fail and get on to the next one. And then I had also another innovator that told me, and I, I had the privilege of working for, he said, um, go find the uh, next job you can get fired at. Um, if you can do that and smile about it and live life without a net, uh, entrepreneurship is, is a wonderful thing. But it comes with its ups and downs. Yeah, that, you know, it's inspirational advice that extends even well beyond engineering, as I'm sure you imagine. So thank you. That was excellent. Thank you, Amy. It was a pleasure. We were speaking with Ron Nog of BioAlert. Tune in to next week's podcast when we talk with Avi Yaron, the founder of Joy Ventures and an executive on the board of directors at BioAlert. Avi's going to talk personally, professionally, and scientifically about predictive and preventive healthcare technologies and his dream of a new field of medicine based on emotional factors. I'm Amy Kalnoskis, and you've been listening to EE Entrepreneurs from EE World and WTWH Media. Join me each week as we uncover the human stories behind the engineering successes that make a difference.